Welcome to Trinity. We're glad that you are here with us. Kids that are heading out for Kids, kids Church, now's your time to do that with your parents. If you have a Bible, turn to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. We're in chapter 1. As you're turning there, I just want to highlight a couple of things that are coming up. There are many things that are coming up, and we'll be sure to get that out to you. But two things in particular. This coming Saturday, six days from now, Saturday, October 30th, from 7 to 8.30 here uh, in the Fellowship Hall is a marriage and family dessert. And if you haven't RSVP'd for that or let us know, please reach out to, to myself, uh, the church, or to Doug and Linda McKay, and they'll be sure to um, mark that down and be prepared for our time encouraging each other in our marriages and our families. So again, that's this Saturday, 7 to 8.30. And then on Sunday, November 7th, that evening, we're going to have a church-wide prayer night. It's been a while since we had one of those, and it's time. And so that will be from 5 to 6, 6.30 p.m. Here in the fellowship, or here in the main auditorium, uh, we'll have our prayer night. And so those have been such joys and, and such encouragements, the times that we've been able to do them. And hopefully we'll have uh, great participation in that on Sunday, November 7th. And it's weird to say November. Like, where did the year go? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I want it back, but I don't know where it went. So anyway, uh, it has gone quickly. All right, Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read verses 9 through 20 as we sort of still continue to move into this letter, like wading into uh, an ocean. We're getting our feet wet, our our knees are wet, and, and we're going to get all the more um, as we move on into this letter. Let's hear God's Word. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, And I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyreta, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, 
The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. God, what a vision of the King. And as we come to this, I pray that it would give us great courage in our lives right now to know to whom we belong. His power, His majesty, His grace. So would you do a good work in us this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Courage is the mental or moral strength to keep going in the face of danger, fear, or difficulty. The moral or mental strength to keep pressing onward, even though there's a lot pushing back. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Nelson Mandela certainly knew danger, fear, and difficulty. The sort of courage that you and I, the the kind of courage that we need and, get this, can receive, is found in beholding the one who is greater than all the circumstances of danger, fear, and difficulty. And Revelation is holding up and holding out to us a vision of our King. And from that vision comes the courage that we need to live out our faith in a life is hard, evil is real kind of world. The courage we need is going to be found in beholding our King. The courage we need to live in a life is hard, evil is real world is found in looking at the King. Because Jesus is King, you and I, we have all the courage we need to live for the King in a hard world. We have it. We have all that we need in Him. And so as we work through what we find here in this remarkable passage, there are two things about courage that I want us to see. First, the source of of our courage, the source of our courage, and then I want us to wrestle with the goal of our courage. What's the point of having this courage? Let's consider that together. The source of our courage is first and foremost the vision of our king. It's the king. It's a vision of our king. Now, I want to highlight something as we move through Revelation. Revelation is a a masterpiece, a literary masterpiece. And for those who like literature and those who like to see how a story unfolds, how a story is told, how how this letter is unfolding, we need to know that there are some literary geniuses happening here in this letter. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has constructed the letter to follow four big main visions that are unfolding over the course of this letter. Four of them. Uh, sort of set the structure of the letter. So the letter begins with, uh, you know, a, a, a prologue and ends with an epilogue, right? It, it has both of those dynamics, but the meat of it from where we start today until we get toward the end, it's following these four visions. And they each carry four components that give us a clue that we're seeing something 
uh, seeing something new, seeing something important, that it, it sets it aside as a reader that we're going along like, okay, something dramatic is happening here. And these four components are that each of these visions begins in this similar way. It begins with a, a heavenly guide for the vision. So it's either King Jesus or an angelic being working on behalf of King Jesus that's guiding John and us into this vision. Secondly, we find that there's a mentioning of John being in the Spirit. And so there's this moment while John is on Alcatraz Patmos that the Spirit is working in a very unique and supernatural way in John so that he can see what he's going to see. Thirdly, we find a verbal introduction to the content of the vision. There's some sort of verbal explanation or sort of cursory introductory words that are coming first before the the unfolding of that vision. And then we find, fourthly, John and or other beings falling down in worship. These four things begin these visions that we find that, that that sort of give us some structure to understand and and, and make sense of Revelation. So we're on the lookout for those. We're on the lookout for a heavenly guide, John being in the Spirit, some verbal intro words, and then John or others falling down in worship. There are four of them, right? The first, where we're at right now this morning, is just, here's the king. The king. The second one, is the king in the throne room, the highest place in all the cosmos, in heavens and earth. The third one is the king over history and everything. And then the fourth one is the king returning. And if you think about it, those progressions are really helpful. If you can keep those in your mind as we're going through Revelation, it's really helpful to kind of know where you're at in this Interesting and crazy at times letter. To know the king is introduced. The king is shown in the highest place of authority, the throne room of heaven. He's over everything, history, evil, all of it. His justice will come. And then fourthly, he returns. That helps us with this letter. But you know what? kind of helps us with you know, ourselves, right? If you just kind of keep those four sort of kinds of visions in mind in your life, in the midst of the things that you face and right now, the the hardships that might be happening around you or the struggles that are happening in, in you, within you, it's kind of helpful to rehearse that again and again to yourself. Jesus is the King. He's in the throne room of heaven. He's over all of history and evil and everything, and He is returning. I find a need for that. <laughs> I find a need for that sort of rehearsal to happen for my heart and in my life and the things that I face. And so it's helpful for us to see the way that this letter unfolds. It's actually so good for us to see that structure. Not just so that we better understand the picture we're beholding, but just even to reinforce that to our own hearts and our lives right now. Right now. So rehearse that even to yourself. So that's what we're, we're looking at, is a vision of the king. And we're getting these very intense visions of our resurrected, 
reigning and ruling and one day returning king. So that's just it. It's a vision of the king. And here the king is introduced to us in an unavoidable, unmistakable way. In our passage we find that John heard stuff and then he saw. He heard and then he saw. Look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. A loud voice like a trumpet. Now, there's, before we start to dig into what it is that John heard and then saw, we need to understand the word like. It's very important that we get that in, as we move through Revelation because there's going to be a lot of like things. It was like this or it was like that. Like is very important for us to understand. It's referring to a quality or a character of something. It's referring to a quality or character of something. It's not, it's not, you know, a literal thing with exactness that the word like is going toward. It's about what is this like? What is the kind of thing that we're looking at? What is its quality, its character? And then we get this vision, this picture of the king. That John is trying to convey the quality and character of the resurrected, reigning, ruling, and one day returning king. It's important that we see that. So when he says it's a loud voice like a trumpet, what is the quality or character that John is wanting us to get? Well, it's a a fullness, a a loudness. It's a voice that fills the heavens. We see here that Jesus is kind of a big deal. (laughs) He's over everything. His authority has no limit. The booming voice of the reigning, ruling, returning king fills the heavens. Fills the heavens. So this is the highest authority anywhere everywhere. Now, what do we see? Let's look through 12 through 16, but we're going to look at it in sort of three parts. First, verses 12 through 13. Let's read those words again. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. So we get this picture of this one, this person who looks like a man, but seems a little bit extra, and he's in this strange place with these seven golden lampstands. So what's going on here? Again, we got to keep in mind, Revelation is highly symbolic in its work, and it's helping us see the character and quality of, of, of something, and, and not necessarily some sort of exactness in the one-to-one ratio, if you will. So what we find first is the seven golden lampstands. So if you remember from last week, seven refers to wholeness or completeness. The Bible uses that number to talk about something in a whole or completed form. And so it's referring to the whole church. So that means Christ is presented first and foremost as a king over the whole church. And he's there as a son of man. A son of man, which is a very important distinction in the Bible. 
It's referring to something very specific. First of all, if you remember last week, I'm probably going to say that like a thousand times in our Revelation series, so you better start remembering last week. That's all I'm going to say now. Um, as you remember last week, we said that the Old Testament is referred to from anywhere from 400 to 1,000 times in this letter, basically meaning a lot, <laughs> a lot. And so there's specifically Daniel 7 and Daniel 10, the son, this son of man is referred to. Daniel was getting a little bit of a vision himself in that Old Testament prophecy. He was getting somewhat of a similar vision that John is getting here. And the best way for me to explain this is bear with me here. It's just silly, but just maybe you'll get it. You know how like a movie gets announced it's going to be made, and then after a while there's this little teaser trailer. It's like a minute, six seconds long. And it just kind of gives you a sense of, of like the movie. It gets you all excited about it. And you see the teaser trailer and you can't, oh my goodness, they're making whatever that is. And then later along the way comes the full trailer. And you just totally nerd out on it. You are so excited about this movie. The two minutes and 28 seconds of that full trailer, you're just eating it up. You're watching it on infinite loop on your phone a thousand times, looking for all the little nerdy details that just cause your heart to soar. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. And then the movie comes and everybody's there and the theater's packed and you're all beholding it and you're seeing it and you're just like, ah, this is amazing. So Daniel is the teaser trailer. And Daniel 7 and 10, he gets that one minute, six second teaser trailer. And he's all like, oh my goodness. And in Revelation, John is experiencing the full two minute and 28 second trailer. He's getting that like sense of like, oh my goodness, it's going to include this. And then one day, you and I, we will all be at that theater seeing and beholding it in full. In full. What a joy that's going to be. So if you want to know how prophecy works in the Bible, there it is. <laughs> Don't tell any of my seminary professors I did that. All right. <laughs> so there he is, the Son of Man. What is this Son of Man referring to? It's referring to what theologians call the eschatological king. And you're like, well, the what? It means the, the full, final, forever king that's promised and purposed in Scripture by God to come and fulfill all that God had said he would do. That guy. That guy. So the Old Testament's looking down. That guy's coming someday. And John is seeing, oh, it's, there he is. It's Jesus. And one day we will all see that full, final, forever king promise to come and rescue and restore. So as we're working through those verses, we get that sense, like that's the one in reference, and Jesus is that one. And he's dressed in some ways. He's dressed with a long robe, which refers to priestly clothing, which means Jesus is the, the pure priest that we always need. All earthly priests fail. Jesus doesn't. He's the perfect one on our behalf. And he's wearing a golden sash. And that, that refers to this glorious majesty that won't ever fade. He won't ever fade. He won't ever wane in awesomeness. He will always be purely awesomeness. 
John's getting a glimpse of this, and he's like, well, it's kind of like that. That's the king that we get to see and behold. That's our source of courage. But it keeps going. So look at verses 14 and 15. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. The awesomeness of the resurrected, reigning, and ruling king, the king that is the source of our courage, it just keeps going. His white hair, like wool and snow, speak to his overwhelming purity and wisdom. His wisdom knows no limits. Now, some of you who also have white hair, you can, you can, duck, you know, you can grab a little bit of that verse for yourself. But Christ has no limit in his wisdom, and his eyes are like fire. means he sees all, and part of his work will be to burn away all impurity. You can't hide from this king, and you can't hide things from this king. Nothing will go without his notice. And his feet like bronze. And really, it's reference to he's ready for war and judgment over his enemies. He's coming prepared, equipped, ready for battle to be victorious over sin, death, Satan. And his voice, again, just like that trumpet, like the roaring waters. Imagine the sound of a big waterfall roaring. There's something about that is unsettling, isn't it? To hear that power rushing. Have you had that experience at Niagara Falls or even something smaller than that, just to hear the power of that water moving? It's overwhelming and it cannot be stopped. That's Jesus. That's the King. He can't be stopped. This is what John is getting in his 2 minutes and 28 second trailer. It's overwhelming. And then verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. So imagine that. His right hand is holding stars, seven of them, full, complete. We'll get into that in a moment. But really it just shows that he is sovereign over everything, over all things, the cosmos, the heavens, the church, history, time, space, all of it. He's he's over it all. These, These... Seven stars, referring to what we see later, to these seven angels who are representatives of the church. I don't know what all that means. I don't. It's unclear. But what isn't unclear is that they're all in his hand. And so while we might not be able to figure out all the things that we read in this letter, I can figure out that Jesus is kind of a big deal. And a two-edged sword comes out of his mouth. It's a powerful word bringing grace and justice. Grace and justice. And his face is like sun, like the sun shining in full strength, which is really an expression that speaks to his purposeful intent to win a war, set forward to bring a final forever end to all of his enemies. That is King Jesus. All of that. 
And he's presented to us here this vision of the king, the source of our courage to live our lives now. He is the priestly king over all, over the church, over the cosmos, over all history, over all opposition. There is nothing that is outside of his rule. And nothing can stop him. Nothing can stand in his way. He's the king. He's your king. He's the source of your courage. So I say to you, behold. Behold your king. Now, that courage we gain from looking at that king, your king, has a goal in mind. That the confidence we've received when we see King Jesus as he is, who he is, it brings about the goal of worship and witness. The goal is that it would foster in us an ever-increasing heart and life of worship individually as families, as a church, and then fuel us for an ever-increasing joy and, and sacrifice to witness to witness to our King, to make much of our King in our lives. This is our King. We get to worship and witness, but we have a problem, a problem that John experiences, a problem that many of us in here have experienced. A problem is that when we get this vision of the King, we quickly realize some things about ourselves. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. The overwhelming sight of the king exposed John, overwhelmed John. He was getting a picture, a glimpse, a vision of the reigning, ruling one day returning king of heaven and earth and history and eternity. And he's overwhelmed. That king is speaking to him. He's right there, and John is hearing and seeing him, and he has nowhere else to go but flat on his face. So overwhelmed by this Jesus, he falls flat as though dead. Now, I, I don't mean to bring a lighthearted moment in such a serious picture here, but I feel like what I'm about to say we can relate to. Have you ever been at home and you were totally bumming it that day? I mean, you weren't even trying. You've got the joggers on, a hoodie, you didn't shower, and you thought about maybe thinking about brushing your teeth. Do you know what kind of day I'm referring to? For some of you, it might have been yesterday. Looking around, I'm glad it's not today. But you're just bumming it, and and you, you just, you didn't think anything of it. And then somebody you know, like, respect, stops by unexpectedly. That feeling, do you know that feeling I'm talking about? When you open the door and it's that person and you're just like, oh. You feel so exposed, so vulnerable. You feel woefully underdressed. And it's your own home, but you know that it's wrong. <laughs> John felt that, but like times a bajillion. 
Here he is before the king over everything in glory. And John maybe thought about maybe thinking about brushing his teeth. There's an enormous gulf between John and us, sinner, and the holy king God over all. John felt experientially felt that gulf in that moment and could do one thing, fall flat as though dead. Staggering, isn't it? That's a problem. Because the problem is you and I and John couldn't overcome the enormity of that gulf. There was nothing that John could do to breach the gulf, to cross it, to get to where King Jesus is. And so they would be better off to be dead than to try. Which makes what happens next a microcosm, a moment that visualizes for us the gospel. It pictures to us what it is that God really has done for us in Christ. It's seriously one of my favorite verses in all of Bible. And it's hard for me to get through it. But look what it says. The rest of verse 17. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. Don't pass by this too quickly. This is staggering. Because you and I, we are John. And the most incredible thing happens. It's King Jesus who reaches across that great enormous divide. It is King Jesus who crosses the gulf. It is King Jesus who stoops down. John's laying flat on the ground. King Jesus is standing. How's his hand going on his shoulder? How's his hand on him? King Jesus stoops down to where John is. where I am, to where you are, in your sin, in your shame, sunk down, dead, it's King Jesus who puts a right hand on you and says, fear not. Your sin Your death, I have overcome. Grace, I have for you. And King Jesus hasn't stopped stooping down and putting his hand of fellowship on the shoulders of sinners saved by grace. He keeps doing that. 
It's most incredible, far greater than you and I could ever dare to dream. No one in this room watching online is too far for His reach. No one is too sunk down in their sin and their shame for Him to not stoop down further still and find you and say, fear not to you. I have overcome your sin and death. No one is too despairing right now. And maybe you're hiding it well. You're masking it well because you're at church. But no one in here is too despairing that he, that king, can't reach down and save. No one. I would offer to you this morning that this moment is more stunning, more incredible than what we just read and considered about what Jesus was like. That this is more stunning, His grace is more stunning. It's unexpected. It's overwhelming. He stoops down to get messes like you and me. And he hasn't stopped. That is our king. He's not only over all, but he's also not beyond all because he reaches down into our lives and says, fear not. Our courage isn't just in a powerful king who reigns, but in a gracious one who rescues and restores. And that leads us to consider the witness that we have, the opportunity we have in response to this great and glorious, gracious king, is that our lives would follow the pattern of what we see here with John. John is called and commissioned to witness to what he sees about the king. And so the church is to do the same. So we too are to do the same. We are to witness to the king that we have come to see and know and have experienced. Revelation 1.11 and Revelation 1.19 help us see this commission. So in 1.11, Jesus says, write that you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then in 1.19, it says, write therefore the things that you have seen that are those that are to take place after this. It is to be an encouragement, a warning that Jesus wins to be sent out to the whole church. John is to witness to this, to testify to this, that what he sees is to be this encouragement and warning to keep on holding on because Jesus wins. And just as verse 19 implies, the revelation, this Revelation letter is always relevant for us in the past to the things that you have seen, in the present to the things that are. It's relevant to the future, to the things that will be. Worship and witness is what we have the opportunity of doing. We have this opportunity as as people who have been rescued by the stooping down, reaching out king. Rescued mightily and fully because he's powerful enough to do it and gracious enough to enter into our lives for it. We get to worship this king. We have courage to worship. 
courage to worship while we wait in the midst of a life as hard world. Courage to worship while we struggle in an evil is real world. Courage to worship even as we die. Courage to worship the King. The King is worthy of our lives, of our devotion. And the vision of this reigning and ruling and returning King gives us the confidence to have courage in the midst of a hard world where evil is real. Friends, this is our King, our Savior. Let us worship Him like we mean it, like He's worth it. But also, also, the call is to witness to Him, to witness about Him, to to witness to His grace and His glory, to witness while we wait in a life as hard world, to witness and make much of Him while we struggle in an evil is real kind of world, to even witness while we die that Jesus is better. That we would point others to this great and glorious King who's not too good for them to not reach down and stoop down into their mess and pick them up and say, fear not, I have rescued you. A vision of our King gives us confidence that strengthens our witness in this world. If you want to let the things around you dominate your view, you will not have the courage nor the desire to witness to the king. You won't. Guarantee it. But if you want to fill and flood your head and your heart with the picture of this king, there you will experience the courage needed to to make much of him with your life. Maybe in your marriage, maybe in your home, maybe you're on your street or where you work or where you play. The people in your life, you have the courage to take a a step across a gulf between you and them to point them to the king who saves. But if you don't want to look at him, don't expect to have the courage to live for him. This is our king, our savior. Church, let us witness about him like we believe this. King Jesus is blazingly more brilliant and amazing than anything, anywhere in heaven, earth, cosmos, or history. Not even history or death or evil can stand in his way. He's the king that stoops down to us, assures us, strengthens us, and says to us, it's okay. I've got you. We win. Worship the king. And with confidence in a life is hard, evil is real world, witness this king to the world around us. He's worth it. He is worthy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal to us all that we need for life and salvation. And God, I pray and plead that you would do a work in us that, that draws this strength of courage into our lives and into our church, that that we would be filled with it, that it would be 
pulsating through our lives and through our church, a courage that wants to worship you like you're worth it and to witness to you like it's worth it. God, help us, we pray. May our hearts, may our church be so like wrapped up in the vision of our King that it motivates us all the more to live for Him and His glory. God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.